Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ship Talk, the SRE edition. I'm Jim Hershauer, your host for today. Ship Talk is a DevOps podcast brought to you by Harness, the software delivery platform, and the SRE edition focuses on reliability topics. My guest today is Brian Fenster. Thanks for joining us, Brian. You're from Defense Unicorns, and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jim. Brian, why don't you take a minute to share your background, tell us a little bit about Defense Unicorns, and talk about any other projects you might want to fill us in on. Sure. So I've been a software engineer for nearly 30 years now. I, I still do that. Most of that time in supply chain software, which really kind of informs my attitudes towards delivering software because it's, you know, it's, it's a supply chain problem, just a different kind of thing we're, we're moving. For the last several years, I've been working on how do we improve the flow of software delivery, focusing on implementing continuous delivery as a workflow. You know, what are the challenges around that? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I spent a long time at Walmart doing that. And, and then I, I got stolen away by Defense Unicorns. And Defense Unicorns, you know, we're trying to solve some really hard software supply chain problems. You know, how do you deliver, you know, a hardened, secure solution to top secret environments, you know, that are air gapped where you can't, you don't have access to normal tools, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, just really trying to solve uh, that that problem space. If you can solve that delivery problem, everything else is easy. Yeah, that's a very difficult problem for sure. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I love working really hard problems and this is a real fun one. Great. Sounds exciting. All right. So look, I appreciate the background. I feel like you're gonna drop some knowledge on us today. I'll Bef try. Before we get there though, yeah. on this podcast, we like to have a little bit of fun first. And so what I'd love to do is to hear about your hobbies. Everybody has hobbies outside of work. And why don't you pick one of your favorite hobbies and, and fill us in? Well, motorcycling, I think, is is one of these things that I really geek out about. I mean, I'm like, a, you're not going to catch me saying this brand is the best because I'm like a nerd about motorcycles. I'll look at <laughs> new bikes come out and I'll go and try to test ride them, not because I want to buy one, just because like, hey, what's this new bike like? Right? Nice. Yeah. Love motorcycles and I, I love distance riding. I, I ride a BMW GS Adventure and I've taken that thing on thousand mile trips in a day. You know, it's it's fun. It's the, it kind of gets the adrenaline junkie part of me going as well. I love diving into corners. Nice. Yeah. Well, I don't know a whole lot about motorcycles. I definitely know that BMW makes some fantastic motorcycles for sure. And it sounds like you have an adventure bike. Those are the ones that you can kind of take on road, off road, right? Yes, but I'm realistic. They make bikes that are slightly more reliable than Harley Davidson's and much less reliable than Honda's. You just need to know where you're sitting. Okay. <laughs> in the reliability space. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. So any, any fun stories to share about riding your motorcycle on these long trips? Just, you know, I love getting there and I love going places where there, where I can be challenged. You know, there's a road in North, North Carolina, Tennessee border called the Dragon US 129. I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> 318 corners and 11 miles Yeah, and taking a big adventure bike like that. And a big guy like me, I'm six, six, I'm not a small person and diving into those corners and, and just challenging, how do I do this corner better? How do I do this corner better? I mean, it's a lot like how I try to deliver software. It's like, you know, small incremental improvement all the time, you yeah. know? Awesome. Awesome. Diving into corners. Yeah. You know, and this is something that I sometimes try to use this as an analogy because there's habits that you have to develop. Motorcycles are very counterintuitive. In a car, sometimes the safest thing to do is to hit the brakes. You're coming into a corner too fast in a car. You, you want to slow down and reduce your energy coming into that corner so you don't run off the corner. 
The problem is, is that if you apply habits you learned in a car to a motorcycle, it doesn't work the same way. You need to understand the physics of the motorcycle. I mean, motorcycles turn by leaning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you hit the brakes on a motorcycle, the bike stops leaning. It stands up. And so if you're coming into a corner too fast on a motorcycle, you need to just be smooth and just lean harder and go through the corner because the most dangerous thing you can do is just slam on the brakes, stand the bike up, and then just run right off the corner. And this is a lot like the behaviors I see when people are trying to transition to continuous delivery workflows is, is that they, you know, they'll hit a bump along the way and they'll start slowing down delivery, which means that the delivered batches get bigger, but the safety from CD comes from delivering smaller batches and getting faster feedback. And it's the same sort of mindset. It's counterintuitive, but you need to deliver more frequently in smaller chunks rather than slow everything down and panic because you hit a roadblock. Yeah, I love that analogy. So leaning into your your software delivery practices, that's a great segue into the main topic for today's show. You know, the SRE edition of Ship Talk, we like to focus on reliability and resiliency. Right now, we're having some conversations industry-wide about efficiency. And on the show we did last week, I spoke to Matt Schillerstrom about efficiency, and I want to have that similar conversation with you today and maybe expand into the, the software delivery portions of this. So, you know, overall, efficiency is a really hot topic right now, and especially given the current economic environment. And as, company, yeah. Yeah, as companies are looking for different ways to reduce their costs and increase productivity, automation, reliability, resiliency, these are becoming top priorities. So I'd love to hear from you, what's your take on how companies can be successful given the fact that efficiency and reliability, they're often working against each other. Well, I think that the mistake a lot of companies make is they say, we're going to become more efficient so that we can be more productive. And by that, they mean generate more output. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the perspective I have, like I said, I've been a developer for a long, long time. And except for a small, well, it's been a long career, except for a portion of time when operational responsibility was stripped away from me or for, to improve developer productivity, make support of my application go to another team. I have had operational responsibility for what I build. Right. And I don't mean I own the infrastructure and all the tools and everything. I mean that I'm building the application and if it breaks, I'm the one getting woken up in the middle of the night to fix the application. And ops is the reason for all of this. We want to become more efficient about how we deliver software so that we can you know, make smaller batch sizes of, of work so that we can fix production faster, right? So the smaller batches of work allow us to uncover the pain points preventing us from delivering high quality change. Right. Right. It could be process, it could be how we test, whatever. But shoving down those batch sizes uncovers all that pain. But to do that, we have to, anytime we find waste in our flow of delivery, we need to remove that waste, handoffs to other teams, and lack of access to product information we need, whatever that is, how do we improve the supply chain of communication and optimize our processes so that we can keep shrinking that change set size down so that we can every single day build the muscle memory of fixing production. I mean, this is the thing about CD. It's not about speed. It's about building that muscle memory. We are delivering daily. 
Yeah. Hopefully multiple times a day if we're on a high performing or a team. So that when we wake up at three o'clock in the morning, we're, uh, oh, and, and I left this out, and we're only ever using our emergency flow. We're using our hotfix process to deliver every single change because we are validating that our hotfix process works very, very well. We're stressing that system of delivery to uncover broke breaks during the normal business hours so we don't hit those breaks in the middle of the night when something breaks because something will break when we're asleep, yeah. right? And I focus on CD because I want to go to sleep at 3.05 when I woke up at 3 o'clock with a system that's down. Right. I've spent too many years on pager and with too many sleepless nights not to do continuous delivery. So you said something really interesting. You said that it's about ops. It's about being able to recover your systems as quickly as possible. Yes. But what does that mean for dev? Because at the end of the day, you also said in your time in dev, you were responsible for what you deployed, right? That software I, that you I deployed. Am, I am still a dev. Yeah. And here's just the hard truth. I was talking to Andrew Clay Schaefer about this yesterday. This whole thing about coddling developers to take away responsibility for the things that they build so they don't feel the impact of their decisions drives poor quality. If an organization wants high quality software, they will give ownership to teams. And ownership means taking responsibility for the, your architectural and, and tech stack decisions. Mm -hmm. You don't wind up with a team voluntarily building something with five different languages if they also have to fix it in the middle of the night. Right. They're going to optimize for clean code, clean architecture, easy to understand, simple and effective, right? right. They're going to optimize for not being woken up. And that's what drives quality. And when you separate those two things, you kill that quality feedback loop and developers don't know that they're breaking stuff. And some will just start playing. But the, I'm a developer. I don't. I have no problem holding my peers accountable for being professionals and taking responsibility for the work that we do. And how does that translate into the software delivery lifecycle as a whole? You mentioned continuous delivery, but yeah. when we talk about like reliability and resiliency, that shouldn't start in production, right? By the time you get to production, it's there, right? And so whatever's there is there, and it's going to be as reliable as you've made it and whatever users are going to do to it, they'll do. So where does it start? And how do you make that part of your software delivery lifecycle? Well, it starts with your pipeline. The, the purpose of a CD pipeline is not to deliver software. The purpose of a CD pipeline is to prevent bad software from being delivered. Mm. And so we need to identify what, number one, what is our definition of deliverable? Can we even describe it? If we can't, we already have a problem. But if we right. need to have a definition of deliverable, it's certain level of security, a certain level of performance for what it is we're delivering on you know, this particular use the problem we're trying to solve, and then codify that in the pipeline. And then we start shipping down the pipeline to find out how wrong we are about defining our definitions in the pipeline and hardening our pipeline. When, I, when I've worked with teams in the past on this, I tell them that, look, you're a product team. You own this business problem and solving this business problem, but your primary product is the pipeline delivering it. Your job is to, whenever something breaks, because it will, your response is, where do we put something in the pipeline to quickly make that not happen again. You know, and this comes to, we have to design efficient tests that are capable of giving us a signal when things broke about where it broke so we can fix it quickly before it went to production. And when things break in production, 
putting a another test in place that will keep efficiently doing that. We need to keep track of how long that takes to run that pipeline. Because if it takes you four hours to run your pipeline, you're not going to when there's an emergency. You're going to come up with some hot fix process that's not well tested and pour gasoline on a dumpster fire. I know I've done it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and so it's you're constantly going, OK, we're going to ship. We're going to find out what breaks. We're going to just continue improving the things that break. When you put all that together, it sounded like you were saying our pipelines are not just about delivering new features, right? They're there to make sure that we're delivering quality software to our end They're users. They're our safety net. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, are, we own our safety net. We will make mistakes. The automation is there to help us avoid making them twice. So from that perspective, it sounds like you're saying that resiliency engineering should be part of this overall process and not only in production, but baked into your software Everything. delivery pipelines as well. Everything. If you're starting a new team working on a new product, or even if you're just starting a new service for a product that exists, mm -hmm. right? Feature zero is your pipeline. Yeah. If you don't have a way to get to production to invalidate your assumptions about what you're building, everything else you do is waste. And you're just piling defect on top of defect without knowing it. You know, it's interesting. We were just working with a company out in Australia that yeah. was releasing a new product, right? This is an established company, but they're releasing a new product. And their take on resiliency engineering was that they needed to get it implemented before they released their new product. And that was honestly, for me, that was the first time I had ever heard a company make that statement. Their opinion was if we launch this new product and it provides a poor customer experience, it's worse than not launching the product at all for them. They didn't want to, oh, to no, create and, that bad first totally, impression. I totally agree. Yeah. But you also need to figure out how I can get this into production to some of our assumptions about it running in a production environment without also exposing it to people in a way that's not good, right? I mean, right. You, want, you, you, you want to deploy, there's, there's many, many times when I'm deploying to production things that nobody but I know, I mean, it's, it's being tested by the fact that it's not blowing up and dying in that production environment. One of the things I work on is I'm a contributor to minimumcd.org and we have just a list of problems to solve right? It's not implementation do CD this way. It's here's problems to solve that if you solve these problems, now you're doing continuous delivery. Right. One of those problems is production-like test environments, but it's production-like. Yeah. The odds of you having a test environment that matches production are zero. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, getting something out there in a way where you can do some validation that it will actually run and doesn't break anything without hurting anything while you do it is critical. So is this validation, is this strictly the realm of chaos engineering type of solutions or is there more than that that goes into it? No, I mean, it's far more than that. Not only is it resilient, but is it performant? Is it functional? Right. I mean, what tests can we throw at it in production yeah. to validate it does in production what it should do? I mean, we, there's all sorts of mistakes we can make. We could have configurations set incorrectly. We only find out when we deliver. Yeah. Right? Are you, so you're advocating testing in production? Absolutely. But <laughs> testing in production doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean we only test in production. It means we also test in production. I think people really need to understand that all of this is an integrated system. You know, there's this, people see these different words being used. They'll hear agile and DevOps and continuous delivery, and they'll think that these are all different things and they're not. 
What we're trying to do is we're trying to implement a system of delivery that gives us rapid feedback from idea all the way to delivery, right? Every single step in between, rapid feedback that we have a problem. Brian, I love your viewpoint on this holistic way of thinking about software delivery, because it, yeah. in reality, this is what our end users, it's what they experience. At the end of the day, everything that led up to delivering that software to an end user, it is what their customer experiences. Right. You know, and, and and by the way, support documentation, all of those are part. Of, those are all features. Those are all part of the product. Make sure they're good. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's so many times where I've personally been looking at docs to try and figure out how do I use this thing right, and what yeah. I'm looking for isn't documented. All right, great. So listen, let's t take a quick transition here because. On this podcast, we also do another fun segment at the end. So <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I love to ask, and, and I found that people really do like talking about because at the end of the day, we're all humans and we, we mess up. And when we work in IT, sometimes we have some pretty interesting mess ups. So Brian, I'd love to know, what's your worst IT mess up? Well, I had to write down a list because I've been doing this for a while and I've I've messed up, right? And <laughs> This, this particular mess up is one of the reasons why I say that nobody should ever have access to production at all, except through a pipeline. Mm -hmm. okay? okay. Because I was on a production system in the wrong path. I was in bin, Yeah. right? I mistyped a command because I was trying to clear a log file. Uh oh. And I was like, why is it taking so long to delete that log file? <laughs> Did, did you delete your whole operating system? Well, it was it was the primary application that consisted of about 800 different discrete programs, right? So it was yeah. the, the warehouse management system, yeah. right? So I was deleting the warehouse management system oh, wow. from that from that box. It was out on the edge. Now I rapidly went to another box, you know, another DC and started FTPing applications across and hoping that we had no version that we're gonna kill and then crossed my fingers and then just didn't tell anybody. Never, <laughs> never touch production. <laughs> so did it work out? Did you get away with it? I got away with it. Yeah. You know, there was another time when I didn't get away with it, but my tech lead covered for me where I, I deleted an application that only existed in one distribution center that calculated tax for Argentina. So for 30 days, Argentina didn't have any tax calculation going on. And that was, yeah. Oh my. Never touch production. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. So I used to be a systems administrator a long time ago, and we worked in those production systems all the time. And it, it made me nervous, even though I was really comfortable in there. And I had, you know, multiple factor authentication to get the root user on Unix. Wow, did you have to be careful in there? My office mate at a previous company, he was tech lead for public stores, and he thought he was deleting the inventory table from a development system. He deleted a production inventory table. And from that point on, I always had a different color screen on my terminal emulator for production versus development. Oh, that is a brilliant idea. Absolutely. So yeah, lesson for everyone listening. Yeah. If you have any access to production systems and non-production systems, like triple verify which one you're on before running that command, especially have if it's a destructive command. Visual verification <laughs> somewhere, fraud, you know, giant letters or screen color, something, because you will make a mistake. 
<laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, Brian, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for being our guest on the show today. Uh, again, love your idea of looking at software delivery from a holistic perspective. Completely agree with it. Thank you for sharing your humanity with us and, and you know, the, the mess ups that you've had, we've all done it. So yeah, we're all, we're all in the same boat with you. Yeah, 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 for sure. And to everyone listening, if you're interested in being a guest on ship talk, if you're an SRE, or if you're in a DevOps related role, just feel free to send us an email, send that email to podcast at shiptalk.io and we'll get back to you. That's all for now until next time. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Brian.